What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole and I are joined by some guests today. It's been a couple episodes since we've had guests. Yeah, it's just me and you. Yes. It gets lonely. It does. Extremely lonely. I should turn the volume off of my uh, my laptop so that when I get an email, it doesn't come up on the recording. So today, um, we have in the studio with us, um, we have two of my fourth year students, one of which was Cole's intern for a long time too. So mm-hmm. um, finishing up almost at the finish line, uh, we got Lauren and Boone with us today. Or is Boone your real name? Ooh, is it really Butte? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Butte, uh, well, most people Boone goes me, by yeah. an alias, and so like when I get an email from him, I'm like, who the heck is this guy? And then I realize it's Boone. So Yeah, I like yeah. to keep people guessing and keep people surprised. No, it's good. It's very surprising. <laughs> Lauren, what's up? Hi. Lauren has listened to pretty much every one of our episodes. She might be the number only one. one. The only yep. one, I know. Every single one of them. If there, if there is another number one fan out there, let us know. Yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. To see what kind of crazy person listens to all our episodes. It Boone. was really to make sure Boone. I passed the, the rotation. Yeah. That was a good call for sure. That's one of the first questions I ask upon entering my rotation. Mike has failed so many students. <sighs> like, you, like, it really was the only way you'd pass. Case in point. It's not 100%. looking good for Boone so far because I don't know how many episodes he's watched, but it's probably not enough. Uh, so, checked off that osteoarthritis one okay. earlier today. Okay. Well, that's one, one out of 133. Well, there you go, Boone. I got some time uh, <laughs> time left in rotation. <laughs> Two solid weeks, better catch up. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, we're happy to have you guys with us today. Um, so I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, either one of y'all start first, whoever wants to go first. Give me a little bit of background as far as you know, pharmacy school, what it's been like for you, and then uh, what plans afterwards. All right. Well, uh, usually it's ladies first, but uh, I feel like Lauren's going to have a good bit to say, so I'm just going to try to squeak in first. Uh <laughs> So, yes, my name is Boone, and my plans as of now, I am awaiting match day on Friday, and apparently it's been some pretty stiff competition this year, and uh, to all of our listeners out there, good luck to you at this point, and probably by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be uh, congratulations or, oh, we're going to have to figure out something else to do, <laughs> but uh Kind of what are they called? Is it goes? the scramble or is it the second oh, round yeah, for whatever yeah. it called? Yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes this year. Um, but we'll uh, nice keep your fingers crossed, yeah, shoot yeah. for the stars and potentially <laughs> be say. looking for some alternatives just in case. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, you'll, you'll, you'll do, do good, fine. you'll get it, yeah, you'll get we'll it. See. Lauren, what's uh, what's your story for looking like after graduation? Um, yeah, so like you mentioned, I was Cole's intern for a good little while, and I have worked in a community setting all throughout pharmacy school, and I'm hoping that that'll be the plan after I graduate. Nice. nice. So anything, uh, to the whole push towards doing residency and stuff like that just wasn't enough to push you over the edge, huh? To let it go of that job? Nope. Uh, <laughs> they tried. <laughs> all about that customer service. Well, you know, Mike has uh, really advocated for, you know, not needing a residency. Whoa. Don't say that. You're no, not, a I don't want to say not needing one, but it not being the only way. No, yeah. it's not the only way. It's just if you follow Mike's way, 
prepare for a lot of sleepless nights yeah. and, uh, and no, my, 18 hour days. Of my studying. way sucks. Don't do my way. <laughs> my right. way will take a long time and you'll have to use all your PDO to go hang out with other pharmacists and learn. It's just a nightmare. But you're right. We are, we are, I guess we're examples of that. You don't have to follow the conventional route to get somewhere else. Yeah. If you decide that you don't like community, you like community for your whole life. And that's fantastic. If that's what you want to do. I think where people get my message twisted is the whole, and I'm not saying you, Lauren, but where I've seen in the past is where people take my message as far as like, dude, residency sounds awful. You got to work all these hours. And like, I just, this would be easier if I just start working, making money, and then I'll just become a clinical pharmacist later. And I'm like, yes, that would be sweet. (laughs) However, that's not what I did. And I probably would have had a lot more time had I just done the residency (laughs) program and gone that route instead of spending the first three and a half years of my life uh, outside of school. But consider all of the progress you've made for the future of pharmacy. But when you're so, mm, that's a bit of a leap. But um, you're so uplifting today. You're oh, already like you. giving the people like messages, hey, hey, even if it doesn't work out for you, not to jinx you or anything, but <laughs> it's going to be fine. Very uplifting. It's great. good to have it's you an here, It's an inspirational Boone. episode. Oh, my gosh. I feel better already. Wow. <laughs> really bring something to the table, Boone. I like it. But no, that's cool. Um, what are we talking about today? Uh, cellulitis, right? Ish, yeah. Uh, the first I, not the first I heard of it, but the first I saw it in real life, I was on um, a fourth year rotation, and I had a patient who had a lot of medication. She was really overweight. I think she was immobile. And um, uh, I was supposed to go in there and kind of do a med rec for her, whatever, before the doctor came in. And I was talking to her, and but she was just asking me, showing me her ankles, and was asking me about this redness and what appeared to kind of be a rash, but, you know, redness and, and swelling. And I was looking through a med list, and me being the astute pharmacy student, I saw carbamazepine mm. on there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this lady's got Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Done. That, and then, so, you know, the doctor's like, what's going on? I was like, well, you know, this, this, and this got these drugs. And she's got Stevens-Johnson <laughs> oh, syndrome. no. He said, what? And he looked down, and he's like, I think this is just a cellulitis. I was like... Okay, it's okay. most likely that, but I'm glad you passed the test I just gave you. I, I, I was like, I, in my, but in my mind, it was so funny because I, I thought I was right. I was like, I got this. You're like, done. it's Stevens Johnson's. And, you know, in my age, I've realized that he, yeah. he knew what he was doing. Dude, but, I, uh, yeah. I had a similar moment like that where I, had, I was on the stroke team, rounding with the stroke team, and one of the neurology, uh, I think it was the chief resident, said, was, was talking about this. Uh, patient who um their potassium went really high and like i can't remember what the result was and something they were mentioning the potassium and i was like well maybe i saw in the pack the patient had had bactrim at some point like in the last month i was like maybe like i knew bactrim can like increase your potassium levels and maybe that's what like did it and you know well he's like he's like you know potassium induced uh or bactrim, bactrim causing induced uh hyperkalemia whatever he's called leading to whatever the seizures or whatever the patient had he's like yeah he's like dude i love this guy he's hilarious and he thought i was joking i was like yeah man i am funny that's exactly what i was going for <laughs> and i'll shut up now <laughs> at least it worked out he was cool good at least he wasn't being like sarcastic no he, he really genuinely thought, thought i was joking. joking yeah he was dead serious he's like this guy's hilarious i was like that's me i'm always trying to lighten the team up because <laughs> you know strokes those are you know, gotta have some comedy around here <laughs> oh man that's crazy but that was a cool rotation nonetheless so, so yeah the um the what i thought was stevens johnson syndrome was uh urethema or the the redness and the swelling that comes along with the cellulitis which is um basically uh, uh, what you one of the types of skin and soft tissue infections so you you have maybe a puncture of some sort or it could be microscopic and you get a colonization of bacteria 
you have an infection, you have redness and swelling. Um, and we'll talk about the two main types, which are non-purulent and purulent. I always struggle with that purulent word. But purulent. Purulent. Yeah. Purulent. We'll go with that. And as far as like guidelines and things, like the Infectious um, Disease Society of America put out guidelines back in like 2014. And there's been uh, some like Medscape articles and things like that that have summarized different things. But um, the guidelines really hasn't changed too much um, no. in, in the recent years. So it, it can be a little confusing because they put out all of their skin and soft tissue infection guidelines at the same time. So, um, I mean, as far as like lumping all the, those different types of infections kind of together. So when it gets to the purulent versus non-purulent um, skin and soft tissue infections, it can be a little confusing, I feel like, as far as the breakdown. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at an individual infection, it's not bad. It's just when you take the 12 or whatever it yeah. is that they lump together, it gets a little overwhelming. So just to kind of give some background information, um, when it comes to non-purulent skin and soft tissue infections, specifically we think of like cellulitis type of situation. Um, there's also... Um, a couple other like classifications, if you will, um, like um, erysipelas is basically like the superficial um, version, so a little bit like closer to the you know skin surface, if you will, um, version of cellulitis. So it's not quite as deep, um, and you have like this sharply demarcated kind of region around the uh, the wound itself that kind of shows where it's it starts and stops, so to speak. Um, typically speaking, the bacteria that's usually causing that infection is going to be uh, like a group A strep. Um, so like a strep parogenes and it can be others as well. So like there's some like group G and some group B, um, infections and there actually can be some cases where it's a methicillin susceptible staph aureus as well. Those are a lot more rare, but it can happen. Um, and then once you get <clears throat> more like into the subcutaneous, so a little bit deeper, um, than the, uh, um, erysipelas and, you know, in, as far as the, inf the extent of the infection, that's when you get into more like cellulitis, so to speak. Um, and so same bacteria though, it's going to be typically caused by that strep A or group A streptococcus. Um, and they've done studies and like looked at different, like, you know, pathogens and things like that. And that seems to be kind of like the main um, bacteria that's causing those two from a statistical standpoint. So when we start looking through this, like some of the empiric data, you'll see that it's basically going to be different options that cover um, that strep species with some coverage of Staph aureus, just to sprinkle it on there. Uh, but it's mostly the strep A coverage that we're looking for. Yeah. And we'll see that most of the time, especially in mild cases with this non-purulent, um, it's kind of a clinical diagnosis, like similar to what the doctor did. He looked at it, he felt it, and you know, you know it when you see it. Looks like cellulitis. We're going to treat it with this. You don't necessarily have to do a culture and sensitivity unless they're high risk or unless they have some possibly purulent or other issues that we'll talk about. Um, and then when you get into like severe cases of cellulitis, um, so a little bit deeper into the uh, tissue, um, potentially even into the. Um, you know, almost to the muscle region. Um, you can even get like some necrotizing cellulitis where, you know, the skin actually is rapidly breaking down. Necrotizing fasciitis as well as is a severe infection that especially when it first starts, it can very much mimic and, and be confused with just plain cellulitis. Um, and so we'll talk about some treatment options and things like that as well for 
when you get into a situation like that. Um, but necrotizing fasciitis is usually when you're getting into more like the deeper soft tissues as well as the, uh, um, muscle area and, and things like that and overlaying subcutaneous fat on top of that. So, um, and it's a very rapid breakdown and can be very, uh, detrimental to the person's well being. Um, but we'll, when we go through the treatment options, we'll kind of see how they differ, um, depending on the severity and, and all that. Yep. Um, so yeah, non-purulent, it can be mild, moderate, severe. You have the urethema, the pain, the swelling, the redness. Um, it'll be warm to the touch. And then you kind of take all that and add in a little more when you get into purulent um, cellulitis. So it may have something more visual, like a, a furuncle, which would be like it's a my boil. My favorite word ever. I know. It's, it's my favorite kind of uncle. Um, <laughs> next to carbuncle. So there's also carbuncle, um, which uh, is basically multiple neighboring furuncles that form a single inflamed area. Whereas a, a boil, a furuncle, like you would imagine, is an infection that begins in a hair follicle. Uh, but eventually becomes an abscess. It can drain spontaneously. So it's it's characteristic of if you ever played sports, specifically football. We tended to have some MRSA go around, and um, mm. and I never really knew it was very serious. But it was not it was not unusual for me to see one of these white, you know, pustular type of boils on somebody's elbow or something, just because you know you're sharing you're you're wearing the same practice jersey or pads or whatever for whoever knows how long without washing them. And then you had that guy who literally didn't wash the whole season. And if somebody gets MRSA and it starts going around on all the stuff, people are going to get MRSA. And I never got treated for it, but I definitely had it at one point. So, um, or at least I had a boil of some sort that was colonized with something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's characteristic of that. So usually it, it, the, the boils are caused by MRSA, MRSA, um, and, um, the carbuncles as well. Um, and it, it's, it's purulent and it can be literally just drained and, um, that might be okay if it's a mild case, but you may also need treatment if it's a more moderate to severe case. Yeah. And then if it's like, a, you'll see, you'll see cellulitis lumped in with like purulent cellulitis, sometimes they'll refer to it as, and that's basically where it's a cellulitis that's associated with the original like abscess or furuncle carbuncle, um, area. And that's kind of like a purulent cellulitis case where it's still draining and all that. And so that the drainage and incision on the part needs to be, um, part of the, the treatment as well as the antibiotics. But yeah, like Cole said, um, MRSA is really what we're worried about, um, causing that particular um, disease state. Yeah, pharmacists aren't very procedural. And um, so I guess I guess I knew that you could do incision and drainage and treat abscesses and things when I was in school. But hearing my wife talk about it more when she would see it and have to do that, and especially when it was in a very uncomfortable uh, place, painful place, um, yeah, makes me glad I was a pharmacist. Yeah. Not something I'd want to do. It's definitely, uh, especially when you start dealing with like the really bad infections with like the rotting, you know, necrosis yeah. skin and stuff. It's like, oh, goodness. I mean, we've got, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper over here, so I'm sure that you would, uh, that would be something you'd enjoy, right? First of all, how dare you smear her name <laughs> by pretending she's me. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> she would be very offended by that. <laughs> but, um, all right, so looking at treatment options, um, and there's a nice, like, table in the um, guidelines that kind of lay everything out in a very simple form, but... Um, from just a general empiric 
kind of scenario, the, if we're starting with mild non-purulent infections, so remember, again, we're trying to treat strep perogenes, um, we're going to be giving oral antibiotics. And as far as differentiating between mild and moderate, we're thinking mild is going to be the actual you know skin infection, but it's not going to have any kind of systemic uh, effects. So it'll just be something that can be treated with oral antibiotics in the outpatient setting, patient's good to go. Um, and so you can use just plain penicillin, like VK, the oral penicillin. Now, if you want to give the dose you know, less frequently, so instead of four times a day dosing, do three times a day dosing, you can do amoxicillin as well, um, either of those, or you can use cephalexin. And then if you really want to make sure that we're having like some staph aureus, so even methicillin susceptible staph aureus coverage as well, if there's a concern about that, then dicloxacillin is an option as well, and then clindamycin. Um, those are the four of the guidelines list. Obviously, you can use others, but um, for, for the most part, you're only treating these for like five days in some cases, sometimes maybe up to 10, but um, it depends on the patient's you know progression and um, cure rate and all that stuff. But uh, for a lot of times, these five days is enough to kind of get rid of the infection. And so it's something that it wouldn't really be realistic to get cultures and then kind of you know, de-escalate if you start with that cloxacillin and found out for sure it's strep and then want to switch to amoxicillin, it's just not going to be yeah. likely to do that. So sometimes it'll start with like something like dicloxacillin. So even though it's a little bit more broad spectrum, um, you're still covering just in case you get that rare case of staph aureus in, in the case of a mild non Um But yeah, the, if you notice, all of these are very narrow spectrum with the exception maybe of Clinda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you're getting that because of that narrow spectrum, you're not adding to the resistance problem that was so prevalent nowadays. Yep. Um, so if you're, if you're considering moving from, if you consider them mild, not mild, but moving up to moderate, um, like Mike said, you're going to have more systemic symptoms. So you might see fever, chills, um, overall fatigue, uh, certain specific exam findings like, um, uh, pain, like excessive pain, pain that's disproportionate to what you would expect from this examination. Um, a circumferential cellulitis or uh, something they call uh, lymphogenic spread. So like red lines streaking away from the area of infection that might be signs of a more severe infection moving up to the moderate stage, even close to the severe stage. So you might see a little more of the, of the um, um, sy- uh, systemic stuff before it's like emergent and severe. Um, but if it's, mo- if it's moderate, non-purulent, um, then instead of oral, you'd want IV. Uh, so the, the options for IV are the mainly the beta-lactams and clindamycin. So penicillin, just like the oral, but IV here, um, ceftriaxone, cefazolin, and clindamycin. Um, yeah, and then uh, nafcillin too. Did you say that? No, I did that not. One. That one's also listed as, um, and because that's going to give you your your uh, staph aureus coverage as yeah. well. So yeah, basically the IV versions. And then again, you're treating these for such a short period of time that you know, maybe if the person needs to be converted to PO, then it would be basically just whatever covers similar. So nafcillin could be switched to dicloxacillin if you were going to send the person home. But it's usually going to be five days or so treatment options, and hopefully it'll be taken care of. But same concept. All of these are treating that strep pyrogenes primarily with some staph aureus coverage if you need that uh, thrown in there. But what is considered to be like a severe non perennial infection. That's where things can get a little bit different, especially if it turns into some kind of like a 
necrotizing infection, but um, it could be just as simple as a failed oral antibiotics um, in the patients. Maybe they start an oral antibiotics and the condition gets worse. That's going to be more indicative of a more severe infection. Um, patients who are immunocompromised, obviously, it would, it's, it's going to put them at risk. Um, patients experience like hypotension, um, any kind of like end organ dysfunction. If they meet SIRS criteria, so, um, mm-hmm. so remember that's it's a systemic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS is going to be a patient has to meet two of two or more of the following criteria where their temperature is above 38 degrees Celsius, a pulse is above 90 beats per minute, respiratory rate is greater than 24, um, white blood cell count is either less than 4,000 or greater than 12,000. Um, and if they meet two or more of those four options, then that's considered SIRS criteria and then going to be um, considered a severe infection. Now, if there's a presence of like skin sloughing or you start seeing any kind of signs of necrotizing infection, then that's when you definitely want to get the surgery team involved. So yeah. they can kind of assess first before you even give antibiotics what we need to treat for. If I was in bed and the doctor was treating me in the hospital and he said, hmm, skin sloughing and wrote that in his chart, I'd be really concerned. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you want to... It's not ideal. It's not ideal. Doesn't sound great. (laughs) No. So that's when you'd want to consult surgical. Yeah. So um, in the surgical consultation, because they may need to go in and and do the debridement and and make sure that they're cleaning out the area and then starting antibiotics right there, but do kind of get like an emergency um, surgical consult just to see if you need to go that route. Um, Some other things that you can use obviously imaging, so CT, um, some MRI possibly for uh, if you do need to assess and see if there's any kind of necrotizing fasciitis there. Um, some labs to kind of that would push you in the direction of that would be like an elevated white blood cell count, mm-hmm. um, possibly more than like fourteen thousand, um, an elevated BUN level, uh, so around like around fifteen milligrams per milliliter uh, or milliliter. I said milliliter, milliliter or greater. Um, or if you're That's a long <laughs> it's BUN, a, extremely long BUN. <laughs> Um, or if uh, the patient has a reduced sodium level, so like less than 135, um, would would raise some some concerns that it could be necrotizing. Yeah. Um, and then needs to be definitely uh, have a surgical procedure before uh, just jumping on antibiotics. Yeah. So you'd want to get blood cultures, of course, in this case, CBC with diff because you're looking for a left shift, um, and then get creatinine bicarb, creatinine phosphokinase and C-reactive protein. Those would be um, some recommended labs to draw to be able to see all that. And the, the issue is, especially in the case of like a necrotizing infection, just like we said, like when it's early on, like cellulitis and then something that's going to develop into necrotizing fasciitis could be very similar. Um, and they could look this very similar early on in the infection. So um, if we do meet some of the criteria for severe infection, we don't know if it's just something as simple as in a severe cellulitis case where it's most likely still going to be the group A strep, or if in the case of necrotizing fasciitis, that can a lot of times be caused by like polymicrobial um, pathogens. So anaerobic and aerobic microbes kind of together. Uh, it could be, depending on what caused the the infection, it could be MRSA, it could be um, different types of things like Vibrio or Aeromonas, um, which we can talk about in a second, but depending on what kind of happened that led the person, you know, to being uh, in this situation to begin with, and um, that can also play a factor as well. So really, you're going to want culture and sensitivity reports back to kind of see where you need to go. But 
empiric therapy after you've gotten the surgical consultation. Empiric therapy is going to be something like Vank plus uh, Piptazo. So, mm-hmm. so that's going to be your coverage of your MRSA, um, as well as the Piptazo is going to cover all of your, you know, extended spectrum um, bugs and like your your gram negative bugs, things like that. Um, so you're kind of getting a wide range of, of coverage. Some alternatives, like if you couldn't use Vank for whatever reason, instead of that, you could use uh, linazolid. Um, would be a good change. You could use one of the carbapenem um, is instead of the Piptazo if you wanted to cover that way. There's also a recommendation where they use um, vancomycin plus, instead of Piptazo, they'll use ciftriaxone plus metronidazole, so like a three-drug combo. Um, that's also an option as well. But something along those lines, as long as you're covering around the same range of Vank and Piptazo, that's going to be your empiric therapy. Yep, and I think you mentioned um, some of the instances, but even if you're, going back to mild, even if you're considered mild, instances where you might want to go ahead and get a culture insensitivity or get blood cultures might be, depending on the area that the infection is presenting. So if it's on the face, especially around the eyes, you might want to um, get it just in case because if you need to escalate or de-escalate, you want to know that. Um if um, if the patient may have come in contact with potentially contaminated water, so we'll talk about that a little bit, then even if it seems mild, that might be an instance. And I think Mike mentioned immunodeficiencies, um, so chemo if they have cancer or other immunodeficiencies, and then animal bites. Um, you want to culture animal bites. Always culture the animal bites. Yes. I had a, um, I have a friend who, um, what is it? Uh, I can't remember. He's gotten bit by a lot of dogs. Let's a lot that. of dogs? Like a lot of dogs, yeah. He's not very good at eluding them, huh? Well, he's a salesman, you know, oh. going to like the. Did he go door to door in 2021? Well, yeah. Well, it, um, I'm sure he's a great guy, but, but yeah, I, I can only imagine that male people probably have been treated for lots of dog bites as well. Do male people go door to door now? Uh, I guess a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they don't walk necessarily, yeah, but they're they getting cool, out. They got that cool truck. They got the truck. I think it's awesome. You'd like to drive the uh, sure, like you're in the Why UK not? or something. Sure. On Why the not? on the opposite side. Leave the door open too, because I don't know rules. <laughs> <laughs> be like a convertible only different yeah yeah i'm not wearing the shorts though slightly different i don't know i think they're pretty snazzy looking shorts maybe what do you guys think i mean i was like a man in uniform right oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah it might be a backup plan for us maybe it's a good good thought i knew somebody who uh, was a, 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 a male woman and um, she said it's very stressful i can't even imagine yeah <laughs> extremely so, all right. So let's say culture and sensitivity reports come back. There's our there's our uh, rabbit trail for the evening. Um, we, if we get culture and sensitivity reports back, and we have like a documented um, necrotizing group A strep that's causing it, or certain types of clostridial infections, um, we can get away with instead of using the the vank and the piptazo, we could deescalate and just use PenG plus clindamycin. And the clindamycin's on board there to kind of help with the uh, like the toxins being released by the the strep, um, and so that's kind of helping to double coverage in that case. If if you have for sure documentation that it's that. Now, if the patient uh, does have some sort of a necrotizing infection that's you culture, and and especially if they've been in salt water, like I saw this happen uh, to a guy who was diving um, in somewhere off 
by our, one of our beaches or something and was diving and something happened, like a rock fell on him or something and gashed him open. And he ended up getting really bad, like necrotizing fasciitis oh from it. And then they found that they cultured and found that it was Vibrio. Um, so in that case, the guidelines recommend giving doxycycline plus ceftazidime. Mm-hmm. And I always think when I think when I think of Vibrio species, I do kind of doxy kind of pops in my head. That's yeah. the way I kind of always remembered that. And then if the patient was in fresh or like brackish water, which is where fresh and salt water kind of meet in the middle, which we have a lot of areas around where we live that are like that, um, fresh or brackish exposure, we're more worried about things like aromonas um, causing it. And in that case, we're going to do doxy plus ciprofloxacin, mm-hmm. the two recommended drugs of choice. Aromonas, I always, whenever I think of that, that particular like microbe, um, I... I saw a patient that had been bit by a diamondback rattlesnake when I was in school. And he was in the one of the, I think it's the stickyu. And uh, they had given him crofob and stuff like that to treat the actual venom. But then um, his skin was, you know, sloughing off because of the venom. And um, so they put leeches on his, mm-hmm. on his hand to kind of like you know, keep the tissues perfused with blood, keep the blood flow coming to that area and stuff. And uh, they had to prophylactically treat with Cipro when they had mm. the leeches applied because of the aromonas mm. in the leech's mouth, which makes sense because they're freshwater leeches. Very interesting. So they were they were using that as a... Because I remember seeing the leeches in the inpatient pharmacy. In the pickle jar? I, in the pickle jar, I guess. I just, you think they're going to be like this elaborate container? No, just like like a dill pickle jar. Yeah, they just, just emptied out and like, yeah, there's still these stupid bugs in here. I and mean, I think, if, I guess, I, in my memory, it's more like a styrofoam cooler looking thing. But yeah, they're just sitting there like uh, on ice or in water or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh, those are leeches, huh? I guess I never thought that you'd have to prophylactically treat because they can cause harm i do i don't know if it still is but i remember when i was on rotation there that cipra was on um like or set like what it was like a it was like um what do they call that where it's like restricted use um because of all the like gram negative resistance they were mm. getting against cipro yeah. so it was on restricted use so you had to get like an infectious disease console mm. and there had to be certain scenarios and one of them was leech therapy leech therapy. and that was because of the killing off the aromonas in the leech's mouth very interesting do you imagine you like don't do that and you give someone leeches to fix their no, necrotizing skin and then all of a sudden you just introduce a new type of bacteria that causes the same thing crap more sloughing Oops. yeah that's a that's oh that is an uh-oh well, somebody had to do it first, you know? Dad do. And you're like, huh, I wonder why that happened. <laughs> oh, shoot, they have bacteria in the mouth. We probably should have checked that first. I don't know. It would be interesting to see uh, how that actually played out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what did we miss? Anything on non perlant I think Boone, we're good. Boone, we covered okay? I took good Seems notes. Seems good to me. We, we hit everything in your notes? Yep, you hit everything in the notes. All right. Crushed it. Cool. So we already talked about the presentation of uh, of the purulent. Um, and if it's a mild case, it's pretty easy. You're just going to um, incise and drain. So incision and drainage of the abscess. And you don't necessarily have to treat them with antibiotics. Um, which was so weird to me when I was first, again, hearing my wife just describe their treatment. I'm like, y'all didn't put them on anything? They're like, no, we just... Cut, cut it and let it drain and they're good to go and it's because it gets rid of the majority of the colonization and your body kind of handles the rest so you don't have to give them antibiotics one thing this is uh just i don't know why it's just popped in my head but since it can be caused by like a boil and things like that one thing if you guys are ever uh um like in like a retail setting or something you'll sometimes your older patients will come in lauren tell me if this ever happened patient comes in with a boil and they said that they want some kind of drawing salve 
Have you seen anybody ask for that? I've never had that. Happen. I've definitely had that asked yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and I truthfully didn't really know what they're talking about. So there's All like, right, now I don't feel so bad. There, there's like a uh, old product called like, I think it's ichthamol. Um, that sounds familiar. And it's basically like what it is. It's like this drawing like sad that kind of like brings the boil like to head, so to speak, and then helps it to pop, pop which I guess would be the same concept as incision and drainage, um, only with this with witchcraft instead of real <laughs> real procedures. And uh, but every time I hear like a drawing salve, like uh-huh. people will be like, "What the heck is this person talking to?" And I worked with this one older pharmacist one time that I remember telling me that when I was in school. So I always knew it was like, "Ache them all." I don't know what you're looking for, my guy. Let's go look. Uh, which did you have it? There was some kind of. Um, there was a. I think it actually said drawing salve. I wonder on, what it does. I'm interested to know how it works. I mean, I don't know. It's like a magnet for pus. <laughs> Plus magnet? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Think of it as more of a black hole, like a pus black hole. Just uh, pulls it right in. Pulls it right out. Yeah. It, Neil deGrasse Tyson taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a, I don't know. That just popped in my head. So I figured that's a fun fact in case any guys ever get asked that question by one of your older patients. I now. can only imagine it would make pimple pocketing better if you just mm. draw it all to a head and, you know. Maybe. I like the sound effect. Yeah. It's no. We don't have your sound effects anymore, so. No. Oh, yeah. Too many buttons to push. I can't barely keep up with just I know. moving the mouse. That's what we That's what we need somebody in here pushing your, your money signs and uh, toilet uh, sounds for. <laughs> we had a whole, uh, we, well, had, we had a whole like, soundboard at one point. That I think we, we had really some Arnold Schwarzenegger on there, too. It's okay. We have Boone to be the soundboard now. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Boone. <laughs> Thank you, Boone. It's very it, man. extremely helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you'd listen to all the episodes, you would know about the soundboard. Mm-hmm. It was, there for another time. <laughs> it was there for a significant amount of time, at least it like a, it was I a mean, good little minute, twenty episodes or so. Was it? Not that you used it in all of those, but throughout the course of it maybe was sitting 20. there. Yeah, it was yeah, it was there, and you probably popped it. You know, every once in a while, it was just dead half the time. You were super excited about it at first. I was because I'm always excited about trying some new thing, and then after I do, I was like, "Ah, it's lame. <laughs> I'll try something different." I I don't know how many times I've ripped everything off the walls in here and restarted. Yep. Yeah. Cole was like, "Why? We just put all that up." I, like, I hate it. <laughs> Let's yeah, rip it down. I got to hear about it at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cole thinks I'm a lunatic. It's okay. I come in here every day and go, what can I change? <laughs> How can we make this better? Anyways, all right. So mild infection, we're not going to treat with anything. Moderate purulent infection. Still thinking Staph aureus and most likely MRSA. So we're going to, in in this case, moderate, we're still going to treat with um, oral antibiotics. And so it, for empiric therapy, um, besides doing the uh, incision and drainage, uh, we're also going to add on an empiric antibiotic that's going to cover for MRSA, so doxy or um, sulfamethoxazole trimethoprim-bactrim. Now, if if cultures come back and it shows that it's methicillin susceptible, then you could consider de-escalating. Again, you, the odds of actually having enough time to do all this may not make it worth it. Especially because just, they're probably ambulatory anyway. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like they're in the hospital and you can just step it down because you just stop whatever they had and step it down to something else or whatever. Yeah. So if it was the case that if you just were your favorite thing on earth is antimicrobial stewardship and you just felt compelled, you get cultures back, realize it's methicillin susceptible, then you could always switch to dicloxacillin or like cephalexin or something of the two options listed from the yep. guidelines. So yeah, that's moderate. Um, so getting into severe. So when do you consider something a severe purulent infection? Um, so if they have failed what we've already tried to do. So we did incision and drainage. We added on the antibiotics and they failed that. That can be severe. Uh, if they're an immunocompromised patient, that can be severe. Or similarly to non-purulent if they meet SERS criteria. So two or more of the of what Mike had talked about before. So if they meet SERS criteria, that can be severe as well. Um, you're still thinking Staph aureus and probably MRSA. 
Uh, so you want to cover with IV antibiotics. So we're still doing the incision drainage, and then we're adding on IV antibiotics, and we want MRSA coverage. Um, so options similar to before, we have vancomycin, linazolid, um, daptomycin, and then there's also ceftaroline and televancin would be options that you could use there. If it comes back and it shows that it, it, it's um, MSSA, if it's susceptible, you can de-escalate to nafcillin, cefazolin, or clindamycin would be the other options. Yep. And like I said, there's a, a chart that's available in the guidelines. They basically um, list out, you know, what you can use, especially in the case of non prevalent They have a very nice little breakdown. Um, and then if you have like a defined, um, you know, culture back, it, it kind of walks through like, Mm-hmm. the different um whether it's vibrio aromonas or if it's polymicrobial um that's the other thing that we didn't mention is the empiric therapy where you do the vanc plus peptazo for non-purulent severe infections if it does come back as being polymicrobial you can continue that regimen and just call it good um so if you do get back uh, a culture that shows um aerobic and anaerobic kind of together um you can go ahead and just keep them on that vanc peptazo and that'll take care of it yep but uh, yeah, what else, guys? We miss uh, yeah, anything? T- t- correct us. What what else we got? Um, I have a question. Yep. So, like in severe, are we treating like for a certain number of days? Are we doing it based on cultures? It's based Is on it... patient presentation still. Um, okay, so like I, clinical. The, the guidelines will still say like five to 10 days usually is what it'll take. Um, but it just basically says some some patients, even in the severe case, will be five days and you can, you'll have it cleared up. But it says basically just going off of clinical presentation yeah okay and one thing i do want to mention too and this is the guideline state this as well clindamycin we've mentioned several times as an option but that needs to be used in cases where resistance is like confirmed to be less than 10 to 15 percent at that institution so looking at your antibiogram and making sure that uh most likely your resistance rates are down for clindamycin if you're going to use that one Mm -hmm. you don't see too much uh too much clinda used nowadays but figured we'd throw it in there since it's still in the guidelines cool cool super duper <laughs> nice um anything else we need to cover cole uh that's all i got man cool um well thank you guys so much for listening uh definitely if you have any questions or comments or concerns or anything definitely send us a, an email which will be in the show notes or if you want to send us a direct message on instagram or facebook or whatever cool platform you want to be on um if you want to text directly um you can do that as well the just send a text to uh, 415-943-6116 um, and also, thank you guys so much for those of you signing up for our Patreon. Um, it's been awesome to see how that's been growing, and uh, and that definitely helps us out a lot and uh, helps us to continue to make the show better and stuff like that. So um, greatly appreciate the support there. And if you have any ideas for how we can make that better, we're, we're toying with a few different ideas as far as like practice questions slash tests or different test prep things. Like We haven't figured out what we're going to do yet, but we're in the works of coming up with some other ideas for – for uh, Patreon, but we'll keep you posted on that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for the support. Um, if you do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave comments, whatever you want to do. It helps us out as, as well when it comes to uh, showing that our podcast is making moves. I definitely appreciate that. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good night. <laughs>